Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Previously on Mentally Yours. Got to a point where I forgot what feeling happy felt like. I was relentlessly stressed. My mind was just a complete mess. And um, I ended up planning my suicide. I was going to jump from the... My my room was on the top floor of this building. So there's a small window there. And I was just... I was going to jump out of it, make a big, big scene of it, you know. And I'd planned to do this the night before. Like, I, I mean, I was just wired in bed about five in the morning you know just absolutely loaded and um didn't sleep and then at about eight o'clock um thought i was gonna do it and then i just i had to speak to someone just one one last i had to speak to mum basically like i i've just had to hear her voice one more time i didn't want her to talk me out of it i didn't want anyone to talk me out of it it was like completely decided so so yeah i i just called her up and i don't think i even said a word you know i just started crying down the fire i think i just was just silent for ages i just didn't know what to say i just wanted to hear her talk and um she she's a clinical nurse so she's she's got a you know a background in mental health and it's not something that re- ever really interested me that much but i mean maybe that was it like maybe that was why i decided to call her maybe i the part of me knew that she was going to say something that i needed to hear i don't know but yeah, I, I, I called her up and, you know, because of what she does for a living, because she knows, she probably recognised the stuff I was saying and the, the tone of my voice and stuff. And she knows me, you know. So, um, so yeah, like she, she just said all the right things. You know, I can't even remember what she said now, but um, she managed to convince me to, I mean, I didn't say I was going to do what I was going to do. I just, I think I said, like, I was scared of what I was going to do that day. So, um she was just like, well, we need to get you help then, don't we? It's mentally yours from Ellen and Yvette. A focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. 
Hi there and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. My name is Yvette. And I'm Ellen. And this week we're going to be talking to you, Sheena Kamal, who's a crime fiction writer. We're going to be talking to her briefly about her book, but also about her own mental health in terms of toxic relationships, friendship breakups, loneliness, and being able to get help even when you're the strong one. We have a universal healthcare system here, and so I I do know that it is um, because access to healthcare of all kinds it, it's easier here. Uh, there there is treatment, so it's not necessarily pay to play as it is in the, in the U.S., which is what we usually compare ourselves to. Um, if you do um, you do have some support in schools, and you do we do have universal healthcare. So if there's something happening, you're primary physician, your family doctor will refer you. And it it is something that I feel like now that I'm, I hadn't really thought about it, but now that I am thinking about it, I think that it is probably easier to get treated in Canada than it is um, in the US. It's just more a matter of, are you open enough to for treatments? Um, what is the understanding around treatment? And you mentioned referrals as well. Um, in England, we have a bit of a problem. There's quite a long waiting time. That, well, there can be for a lot of people. Is there a similar problem in Canada? It depends on who your family doctor is and, and who they're referring to you to. I don't think that it is as long a wait as it is for certain other kinds of specialists. So I, I think it does happen, um, probably not speedily, but I think people can get access to care if they need it within a timely fashion. Mm-hmm. And it's just about recognizing the signs and actually knowing um, whether or not you have an illness that can be treated um, and that you're open to talking about it with your with your physician. So have you personally been through any kind of treatment for mental health related things? No, and that's that's something that I um, I'm thinking about a lot more just because I think I've internalized um, certain a certain amount of, of stigma. And so for me, I have gone through periods of depression and anxiety, but I have not felt open enough to share. So this is probably the first time that I am sharing publicly that I, that I do, that I have experienced those things. And there is um, a diagnosed uh, family history of bipolarism. So I have a parent who's bipolar and that in, in our household, it was just always like, oh, well, th- this is your, your bipolar is high today. And, you know, it, it was something that was kind of, um, kind of discussed. But for me personally, I never felt, I never gave myself permission to say that I struggle with these things. So what's your experience of depression, anxiety and mental health in general been like? When did depression, anxiety start? How did it first come about? I think I've been struggling with it for most of my life, but I I only my main trigger for me to even realize that I I struggled with these things um was a couple of years ago my two best friends, um, the two, my two closest intimates, let's just say outside of my family, they both ghosted me. And 
they ghosted me within six months of each other. And, and it was on the reasons were unrelated. Um, but you know, it was, it was a terrible shock to my system. And this was at the, the same time that I'd gotten a book deal. So I'd written a book, which was very difficult on my mental health as it was because it, it is very dark crime fiction that I write. So I was writing about about gender violence and abuse. And I, uh, I was internalizing a lot of these things. And then when these two people um, left my life, very suddenly, I just, it, it was a downward spiral. And at the same time, I was going to be published and I had to write, and in my contract, it was for two more books as well. So I was going to be published. I was writing um, the other two books and I was editing the, the first one that got sold. And, um, and I didn't have my support network around me in the same way. And so I really, um, uh, it was very drastic. I, um, after I got word of the book deal, I spent, it was, it was right before Christmas time. So at Christmas time, I was just very, just, you know, la la la, just like so excited about this thing. And then January hit and I didn't leave my bed for a month. I didn't have the, the two people who I would normally call in this situation and who would give me what I needed. I didn't have them. So I didn't know how to function. Was there any warning that it was going to happen? Cause I think with ghosting it, the pain of it is just, it comes so out of the blue. No, that's, and that's the thing. Um, I, one of them was a, a girlfriend of mine and my, my best friend, she was my best friend and she, we'd known each other for 15 years. We went to college together. So that was a very solid relationship. And I think um, she had a personal tragedy in her own life, and we were supposed to go on this trip. The trip was a, was to New York so that I would pitch my book to agents, and so it was pa- partially a work trip for me. But the stakes were really, really high, and for her, it was um, it was more of a pleasure trip. And but she couldn't make it last year, so she canceled last minute, and she couldn't do it. And then it sort of jeopardized my end of the trip as well, and. So we got into a fight and we never fight. So this was kind of the first one that was really major. And I knew that it would take some work to get, you know, to get us back to a good place. But then she just never returned any of my calls or my messages with a best friend. You can feel them. You know, there's some people in your life that you can, you have such an intimate connection with that you can really feel them. And so I've, I felt her. And then uh, we usually message on or call on New Year's Eve because she doesn't she didn't live in Canada. She lived in the States. Um, And we so we usually do that thing of checking in. And that never happened. And that's when I knew I knew that if a New Year's Eve passed and she didn't wish me happy New Year's and wouldn't like text me back on New Year's Eve, that she was never going to do it. We hear so much, um, we read so much and sort of see so much in TV and film about breakups, so romantic breakups. They're seen as sort of quite serious things. People are even allowed sort of periods of mourning. But when you lose a solid friend like that, nobody seems to, you don't, that never seems to be shown very much. Like people don't seem to have that same mourning period. Do you sort of look back at that time now and think that maybe it was a period of mourning or 
Is it just sort of something that happened and you can't really explain it? I think what had happened is that uh, at the same time, my other best friend, who we did have a, a romantic connection um, on and off for about seven years, but we were, apart from that, we were creative partners and we were friends. And um, when I got my book deal, I he he was the person that I called and I I was like, oh my God, this amazing thing happened. I got, I got a book deal and he was also dealing with some grief on his end um, as well. And he just uh, never spoke to me after that day. So, <laughs> so it was just like I, the month that I couldn't function was, was right on the, you know, was right after that phone call. And I guess I knew, I guess I got some sort of feeling that this relationship had changed drastically and so when he never reached out again and you know wouldn't answer my texts um I knew that that like I just knew it wasn't going to happen and so to lose the both of them in and around you know the same time was so just devastating so how did you move on because you had the month of um being in bed um how did you sort of move on from that? I've, I've been through a sort of similar period and I was quite lucky. I had my mum there. She was sort of feeding me. But I suppose, were you just literally on your own um, having to deal with it? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm really close with my family. So there's so they are kind of always a part of my life. But there are certain things that you don't really discuss with your family. And so the, that was that was one of those things where I just sort of internalized and I wasn't aware that I was depressed. Um, really, because I didn't want to admit my, to myself that I could get depressed. That was, a, that was like, that was a big thing for me. Um, so I, I, I don't know that I'm even quite over it to be honest with you, but I do what happens. Um, this was just recently, this was earlier this year. Um, my girlfriend, my, you know, the, the female friend, my best friend, she tried to reach out again and I was so shocked and I just, but everything had changed in my life and I wasn't able to reconnect with her. But I, I, I did make sure that I said goodbye, but I, I wasn't able to, to, to give her what she, I was, I wasn't able to be her friend again in the same way. And I didn't want to have a half friendship with her. So it happened during a time of me being just under deadline for, for my book stuff. So I was just so busy and I just, was, and I, I didn't understand why I couldn't be friends with her anymore. And so what I did was I sat down and I wrote about it and in the writing I started to understand why I couldn't go there. Did you talk to anyone about what you were going through? Did you have any other kind of support system that knew, you know, you've been through this quite traumatic friendship breakup and romantic breakup? I I was in the process of making new friends. So that's not exactly something <laughs> that you like hit new friends with yeah. like, oh, this like, crazy here here here's all my baggage let me show you open up these vast suitcases of emotional trauma no I mean I I I did mention and I think it did filter through in the conversations but 
one thing that I've recognized in myself um, that's really not great is this idea that I always have to be strong and I always have to be impressive and accomplished and all these things. So I present myself in a way that negates these experiences. And also I think there's a lot of shame around friendship breakups, like romantic breakups. Everyone kind of understands, they get what those are. Everyone's been through them. Whereas I think struggling with a friendship, it says something about who you are or you feel like it does. Have you felt like that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Whose best friend leaves them like this? Exactly. It's, um, I really didn't think that it could happen. And I didn't think that she thought it could happen either because I think she, she was going through something and she didn't think I would understand and she wanted to go away and get strong. And then when she reached out to me, she was feeling strong. But I had, it had changed. I think being the person who has been left in a romantic relationship, that's fine, but it, or it happens, but in a friendship, it's, you know, you, you don't under, I, I didn't understand. And I didn't know that she would ever reach out to me again. So I didn't think that she would. And so in her, I realized that in the back of her mind, she must have always thought when I'm better, I'll reach out. And that's what she did. But I, I didn't have that. And when she did reach out to you, I'm sure there must have been a temptation to just go, let's just forget about it. I want my friend back. But you said you knew the relationship had changed and wasn't working anymore. How do you make that call? How do you know when a relationship just isn't healthy? Yeah, that's a good question. It was just a feeling. I mean, it was just, it was a few um, emails and that, sh- that we'd exchanged. And in the, in the emails, I, I felt, I felt anxious. I felt this panic. I didn't feel joy. I didn't feel happy or relieved. I felt I felt upset. And so it's, it, that's not a good place to, to be friends. And what I think in some of my writing on it, I say like, if I can't feel joy with you, if the idea of reconnecting with you doesn't make me happy in any way, then I can't do it. That's not fair to you, to me. It's a feeling of like security as well. I think once someone has left and kind of abandoned you, it's very difficult to be like, okay, I can just trust you again. I can feel safe in this relationship. You can't. (laughs) You can't go back there. And did you ever get any kind of closure with these people? Because obviously they ghosted, then your friend tried to reach out. Do you feel like you understand what happened or is it still kind of, you know, a weird mess that you don't fully understand yeah I think it's a weird mess that I don't really understand and every (laughs) every time I think about it you know I I I come to little realizations but these are very like female friendships (laughs) are very complicated you know best friendships are very complicated so and I think that's the thing about friendships too is that over the years 
you love someone and there are all these things that build up. So good things, but also bad things and negativity. And I think that toward the end of it, maybe it had built up to a bad place Mm. and that maybe it was toxic in some way. It wasn't good. Do you think you didn't consider going for counselling to sort of discuss all this and also the depression that you experienced? Or is this something you sort of want to put behind you and kind of move on? Well, I think this conversation is making me realise that like, maybe I do need some counselling because I'm still pretty emotional about it. You can probably hear it in my voice. Um, I, Yeah, I think I'm just going to have to get, get over myself and do it. I mean, And I thought that writing you know, like when I, when I wrote the, started writing about it, I was like, okay, so I've got it and I understand now. And now it's like, like right this second, I'm like, wait, do I understand anything? <laughs> I don't think so. Maybe, maybe I do need that. And I, I think the longer that I try to process it, it's, the the more I realize that these are not wounds that ever fully heal. Yeah, 100%. And I think like talking about it, that's why it's so important because you can't talk about it with your friends because it feels weird and shameful. But in terms of counseling or talking to someone who's been through it, it's like, it, it's a serious trauma. Like it takes a long time to get over that. And also with a counsellor, you're talking to someone impartial. So they, you know, they can't just take sides. They can't take sides. They just listen. Um, and it's, you know, it's their job to listen. And then they can sort of, like you say, help process it and then sort of move on from it. Yeah, I think counselling is great. And do you know what's what's really funny about it is that I, uh, I always recommend to people that they should seek therapy. <laughs> like I feel, I feel really great telling other people <laughs> that they, that they should get counseling for their various um, traumas that they experience and the things that are not working in their life. And if they've got, I'm, I'm basically a big believer in therapy, but I've, I've never wanted to, I've never given myself permission to yeah. seek therapy. Mm. Because I've always felt like I have to be really strong. Mm-hmm. And that's that's so bad to constantly carry all this weight and think, okay, well, it's okay that if you go, but if I go, that's that's weak. Like, yeah, I can't go, but you can go. Mm-hmm. I think it's about acknowledging that what you've been through is really tough. Like sometimes that's hard to admit. And how do you say that? And how how do you process these things? Like, And I, and I realized as well that I... I do write through it, but it also has even writing, writing through all, all, you know, the emotional pain and the loss and all that, even writing through that and putting it in my fiction and putting it in my nonfiction, it still hurts to this day. And also I feel like when you're talking about writing, um, helping you through and helping you process things, you do write about some quite dark stuff. Does that affect your mental health? Yeah, I, th- I think, I mean, absolutely. I um, So after I wrote my first book, I went and did a, an acting class. I, I just like acting classes. And I used to want to be an actor, so I kind of got into the habit of taking them. So I went to take this acting class, and um, and this was the first one I'd taken in a while. Um, and I, I was doing a connection exercise with a scene partner where 
you, um, you know, you're standing across the room, you lock eyes, and you slowly move toward each other. And you, you have to pay attention to your scene partner. And when their eyes tell you to stop, you stop. So it's about reading cues. And my eyes told my scene partner to stop across the room. <laughs> so I was, you know, and, and it, it was an indicator to me, oh my gosh, like I'm so um, distant. I'm so emotionally closed. Um, just coming off of writing the book, um, I had really closed myself off to an extent that I couldn't let this lovely, warm acting partner that I had come any closer than 10 feet away. Could you tell us a bit more about the book, please? In the UK, it's called Eyes Like Mine. And it's about um, it's a it's about a woman who discovers that the child she'd given up for adoption many years ago has gone missing. And she delves into her very dark past to figure out what happened to this missing child who is a, um, a girl that she's not sure she wanted to exist in the first place. So there are some very dark themes there. It's, it's about motherhood and it's about a woman who became a mother without wanting to become a mother. So there, there was some gender violence involved there. And so her feelings about motherhood are very conflicted. And that's something that I, and, you know, and in the book, there are flashbacks to um, emotional, to very um, difficult events of her past. And so, you know, it is a quite, um, it is a thriller, I do have to say. It is a commercial thriller. So pacing wise, it really moves. But the emotional core of the novel is about this really complicated person who doesn't know who has not healed from her past. Oh, God, this is sounding really... <laughs> like... No, you did. That sounds really great, actually. Mm. How do you get... Uh, but how do you get out of that kind of mind space? Because I imagine if you're writing about, you know, really horrible, quite traumatic things, how do you then go and make sure that you're doing okay and that you're mentally healthy? I'm still actually trying to figure out how um, how to go about doing that and to, to let go of, of the characters. And, and I think it's harder because, you know, I used to, to be an actor and I used to train. So when I, it's not just me approaching it from a writer's perspective. I, I do, I do approach it from a writer's perspective, but there are parts of me that really live the experience um, from in, I guess, my actor brain. And I, I don't, I try not to do that. And I don't, um, I don't want to let that, that part in just, you know, because you're, I'm writing and, and that's, that's a whole different beast. But um, yeah, I, I'm not sure what my coping, coping mechanisms are now, but I do know that because I'm aware of it, I check myself a bit more. So I will recognize that in some of the writing in living in the dark places that I'm hurting myself and to try and not live there for as long as I do or I used to and do you ever find that when you're writing these things it brings up kind of your own personal experiences or triggers certain emotions yeah, absolutely. And and sometimes, you know, I, I will do an and <laughs> this is really bad. There's a technique in acting class uh, or, in, you know, an act, there's an acting technique where 
So you're playing a character and something happens to the character and the character needs to feel a certain way in this scene. So the actor will think of an event in her own life that makes her feel that way and use that event to, to inform that scene. And so like hold that event in her mind. And, and so I found that unconsciously I was doing that in writing. I was thinking of, you know, something very negative or very negative things. So if, if I was writing something emotionally traumatic, just automatically, my mind would go to something really horrible that happens to me. And I would, I would hold that and write with that in my mind. So the, it became sort of just a, you know, re-traumatizing myself to write. And when I became aware that I was doing it, I got, you know, I, I still sort of, I was like, oh, you know, it's, yes, but it's useful, but I, I can't keep doing this. I have to find a way to rely on my imagination, which is, you know, as vivid as it can be. So I, I guess I was stuck with these bad habits causing myself harm. Those habits really fed, fed a lot of negativity in my life recognizing that um, is just one step. And the other step is to stop doing it. That's kind of where I am right now is like, how do I stop doing this? And it's, it's been a process. Have you talked to your family about this much? Because you mentioned sort of earlier on in our chats, um, your mom or one of your parents had bipolar disorder. Have you talked to them about either your depression or sort of the way that sort of your writing can sometimes affect you? Because they might have some thoughts on how you can kind of distance yourself from it. Why you can manage it? Yeah, no, they. We do discuss uh, certain elements of it, but I, I'm the one in the family that's that's the straight woman, you know, like I'm the solid one that's mm-hmm. not like, and that's, or yeah, I'm the one that doesn't allow myself to fail or to be weak. So that's always been my role, and so it's really hard for me to live outside of that role. So while I do let them in and I do let them see certain elements of it. And especially when I'm on deadlines and I have to, you know, write to a specific date. Um, I, they, they are more aware that I'm going mad (laughs) and that, you know, mentally like my mental health is like, I, I need certain things and I'm not okay. And I need to work through some stuff, but in the general sense of it, no, I don't really have, I don't bring it up too often because that's just something that I prefer to deal with alone in a dark corner. I feel like a lot of people will relate to this. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people listening will relate to feeling like they have to be the strong one and they have to do all these things and keep it together. Mm. But I think it's really powerful for you to say like, no, you do actually need help with these things and it's okay to struggle. When people are struggling, I am a hundred percent behind them getting help. But for me to do it, it's it's so hard. And I think it comes from a place of I was an immigrant to Canada. I've moved here. Uh, I moved here when I was six years old, and I come from a working class immigrant background. So I always felt like I had to create opportunities. I had to be a high achiever. I had to create all these opportunities for myself in order to succeed in life and I've never let let that go well I hope that 
you can take the time to look after yourself as well and not just prioritize being strong and working and creating things and remember that while trauma and hard things can be kind of helpful in the writing process you do actually prioritize your health as well and take care of yourself and I think I'm scared to as well if I lean in how far does it go and what will the effect have on my work and that's something that I am you know not okay with suffering like <laughs> and I think that's just it's coming from the this like high achiever mentality of mine that I've not been able to let go of like if if I take time for me and get all this stuff sorted and get myself to a better place do I compromise the work So friendship breakups. Yeah, that was an interesting topic, wasn't it? Really interesting. And I think very still emotional for anyone who's been through it. Mm. It's not like a normal romantic breakup where you, you're like, oh, okay, I dated him and now it's done. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. You know, in some ways, I think that they're worse. Because I if you so. have like, I don't know, a childhood friend or a friend from school, or even if it's just a friend from uni or something, someone from a long time ago, a lot of the time you'll be very close to them for years and years and years. And all right, you might have a, a, a romantic, you might have a romantic relationship breakup, but that might be a few years. But a lot of the time your sort of relationship with a guy or a girl is sort of shorter initially. Mm-hmm. Whereas, yeah, your friends, you know, will be sort of for life. And also there's the expectation as well, I think, for a lot of us that they'll be forever really. So if you then get ghosted, which sounds terrible Mm. then yeah it must be a sort of a terrible sort of shock to the system I think also because there's a framework for romantic breakups like you know when you get into a romantic relationship that you're either gonna be married and stay together forever or you're gonna break up Mm. and if you don't end up getting married you kind of understand it because you're like well we fell out of romantic love or we didn't fancy each other anymore or they cheated or something like that Mm. whereas with a friendship like there's no guaranteed time limit. You do just kind of expect it to last forever. Mm. There's no kind of easy out of just like, I'm not attracted to you anymore. Well, that's it. I mean, there's no easy way to end it, is there? Because if both ways are going to be very painful. Because Mm -hmm. if you decide, oh, it's going to be kinder to them to have a conversation and say, look, I think maybe we've grown apart. You know, we got on very well in our 20s, but now we're a bit older. We're just in different places. That's going to be a very difficult conversation and probably quite a painful conversation for the other person. Probably quite a painful conversation for you as Mm -hmm. well. It kind of sounds sort of adult, but at the same time, I don't know. That does sound pretty brutal to me. But then if you go for the other alternative which I think if we're if we're honest most people just go for which is just you know oh we drifted apart and you kind of accidentally don't reply to their messages exactly the slow fade which I guess is kind of like ghosting um then that's equally hard to deal with isn't it Mm. because I think also like it must be difficult if you're on the other side of things if you're the one who's saying this relationship isn't working for me and I think I've been on both sides and I've been the person slow fading because it just wasn't work anymore. And I've been the person who's been friend dumped. Mm. And it's really difficult, but it's kind of, it's difficult to recognise when a relationship isn't working for you anymore and when it isn't healthy. Mm. But I think that's such an important skill is learning, like, I don't have to be in a relationship with this person anymore. If someone is just making me feel rubbish all the time, mm. I, I can back away and I can cut things off and it'll be really difficult and horrible and awkward. 
but mm. it might be worth it. But also I think it's really important to kind of recognise that that was an important relationship yeah. and allow yourself to sort of heal or mourn or all that sort of stuff, which sounds really kind of cheesy maybe, but because it was an important relationship, you know, be a bit kind to yourself yeah. and just think, you know, I'm allowed to be a bit sad for a while. And then kind of move on, meet new people and stuff in the same way that you would do if you'd broken up with a boyfriend, girlfriend. Yeah. And I think just because there aren't friendship breakup rituals that we learn from like films, like there's no kind of bonfire of burning pictures mm. or whatever. I think still give yourself permission to do those rituals and like mm. give yourself time to process and realise that it's going to take a while to get through it. So this is goodbye. If you've been affected by any of the issues we've discussed today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116123 or go to the website at samaritans.org. Thanks very much to our guest, Sheena Kamal, and also to our producer, Sam Bonham, and to Lucy Baker for the jingles. If you've enjoyed listening to us, give us a review on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Mentally Yours, spelled Y-R-S. On Facebook as well, we have a Facebook group called Mentally Yours where we chat about all things mental health. See you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.